Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour Voices, a special series on the Mom Hour showcasing diverse voices from across the motherhood community. I'm Sarah Powers, and today I am joined by two incredible moms from our contributor team, Emily Rourke and Kia Hammond. Hello, friends. Hi. Hi. So glad to have you both here with me today and kind of guest co-host chairs. I wish we were sitting around a real table with real coffee, but... Well, listeners have heard you both on the show before. Most recently in our Pandemic Baby series, you both shared kind of what it was like going through pregnancy and the postpartum period during the really intense part of the pandemic. Um, But for those who don't know you, I would love for you both to introduce yourselves. Just tell us a little bit about you, your family, where you live, how old your kids are, all of that. I'm Emily. I live in a suburb of Indianapolis with my husband and three kids. My kids are six, four, and I have a pandemic baby who will be two next week. Hi, I'm Kia. Um, I live in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania with my husband and our four children. They are, let's see, 13, four, soon to be five, two, and the baby just turned five months old. Oh my goodness. Well, Today's episode is about postpartum mental health, which I realize is a big topic. It's sometimes a hard topic to talk about, and I'm just so thankful that you're both here. Um, To our listeners listening, I want to say a couple of things kind of at the outset. One, if you are listening to this and you are struggling right now, before we say anything else, just know that you're not alone. Um, We are going to have links right in the podcast app where you're listening for resources that can help. Um, And hopefully you'll stick around for this whole conversation and feel less alone by the end of it. But I wanted to say that at the outset, because sometimes even listening to conversations like this feels like too much. Um, And so we have those resources for you and we just want you to know you're not alone. And then... um, Megan and I say this often when it's the two of us, but we are not experts, the three of us here today, Emily and Kia and I. This is not an expert conversation. 
This is real mom perspective. These are real life stories. It's great to have those expert conversations. And we have had a number of episodes where we've had mental health experts on the show. And I will link to those. And those are important conversations as well. But I just want to make it clear we're not giving expert advice today. There's no clinical advice, medical, psychological, or otherwise. We are sharing stories. And and for the most part, the two of you are sharing stories. So on that note, let's kind of start to unpack those stories a little bit, Emily and Kia. Um, and if it's okay, I want to start by just checking in with how you're feeling today, like literally today, today, as in the day we're recording this. Um, and then if you want to share a little more broadly how you're doing in this season of motherhood that you're both in. So Kia, how about you? Okay. So I think overall in this season of motherhood, I am very overwhelmed and overstimulated. I think that's how I would overall describe everything right now. Honestly, there's just a lot of crying and a lot of noise (laughs) always in my house, um, which is very overstimulating to me. Um, And I'm very sleep deprived. So, you know, we always deal with those things, not the best when we are running on little sleep as well. So Elsie is teething right now and she doesn't sleep well. And then today, today I got a four hour stretch at the beginning of the night last night. Um, and I have my mom and sister over here today to keep me some company. So I'm not feeling the usual loneliness that comes with this season of being a stay at home mom right now. So feeling pretty good. Thank you for sharing that. Emily, how are you doing? Oh, I can relate to what Kia said about being overstimulated and overwhelmed. Although I'm sort of entering a new season, um, because my baby is almost two and just this past week, I actually left my kids twice overnight, which has never happened. My husband's never had the kids overnight, but they're kind of getting to ages where I feel okay leaving. Like he'll be fine. He's got it. And, um, I went to a concert with my sister and then another concert with my sister, which was really nice. So I don't know if we're done having kids, but right now it feels like it's getting a little bit more freeing. And especially with the world kind of, um, opening up again, it's just, nice to have a little bit of time to myself. But Kia, I remember when having an infant, it's so hard. Yeah. And then today, I feel good. In the Midwest, we've had a lot of rain and snow and wind for months, it's felt like. And it's finally 80 degrees and sunny today, which helps my mood so much. Yeah. So there's a light at the end of the tunnel, which what was winter. Well, you brought up weather and that was going to be kind of my follow up is we're recording this uh, May 10th and you both live in places that see their fair share of winter, um, Indiana and Pennsylvania. And I was actually going to ask if you if you feel like there's a connection there. So, Emily, you spoke to it before I even got there. Kia, what's your weather like today or how is that affecting just the way you're feeling? Oh, it definitely affects the way I'm feeling. So I don't like summer. I don't like to be hot, but like the sun is shining so beautifully right now. And there's like a light breeze. So me and the kids are going to go for like a long walk into the park later. So it's the perfect day for me. (laughs) I love that. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready to eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. 
So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. All right. So one thing I think it's important to talk about is how we each went into pregnancy and our first baby with an understanding or lack of understanding about postpartum mental health, perinatal mood disorders, all that stuff before we even became moms. Um, I'm wondering if you could just both think back on what you knew going in, if you had any experience, friends, family, if you'd got a brochure in the doctor's office, like how much you knew before you became a mom about some of the things that can happen postpartum. So when I was pregnant with my oldest, um, almost seven years ago, I was really focused on labor and delivery. I was so scared to give birth. So I feel like all of my education leading up to her birth was based around that. Mm -hmm. And we did take a childbirth class. And I remember the teacher mentioning the baby blues. So I knew to expect to feel kind of down for two weeks. And then she mentioned postpartum depression. um, But she had mentioned very extreme postpartum Mm -hmm. depression. I never knew that there was any in between. Right. And I also remember reading Brooke Shields book about her journey with postpartum depression, which is sort of a more extreme version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew a little bit, but I didn't know that there were so many different ways that it manifests after you have a baby. My experience is very similar. Only we're talking 14 years plus now. And I had the exact same concept of baby blues. And I remember kind of knowing the difference. Okay. One 
is like happens kind of right away, but tends to go away on its own. Depression kind of sets in later and often lingers. And then like, like you said, it was like, okay, so those, those are the two things. Um, right. and I, I, I experienced the baby blues pretty significantly, um, and did not experience prolonged depression or anxiety, but I know people who kind of had the reverse. So I guess I am glad that I knew the distinction between those two things, but to your point, there's so much more. Um, and Kia, how about for you? You also, it was more like 13, 14 years ago, right? Yes, it was. Yes. 13, 14 years ago. So I, when I was pregnant with my oldest, I was actually in a program where I would have a home health nurse come to me every week for two years until my baby was two and like teach me just about everything. And so I specifically remember her just like handing me a brochure that talked about the baby blues. There was just like Emily and you said a little bit about like postpartum depression. And then I remember like the more um, like really, really bad side of postpartum psychosis. So like you said, it was like kind of a zero to a hundred thing. There was nothing in between. And I had never heard anyone ever talk about postpartum depression um, unless they would say, I was always confused because people would say like, oh, did you have postpartum? And <laughs> some people still say that now. Yeah. I'm like, well, postpartum is not like something you have. Like there's another word that has to go there. So even now when people are like, oh, did you have postpartum? I'm like, well, that's like a phase, like a... Um, so I just remember being really confused. And even now I, I realize that still kind of lingers. Yeah. And, and language gets updated as we know in so many areas of life. So I admit sometimes like, I, I think I just said postpartum depression and now there's the phrase perinatal mood disorders, postpartum mental health. And then you, you two may educate me throughout this conversation. So that language matters to your point, Kia. And I think it's, it's rapidly evolving so we can get more specific, which is a good thing, I think. So I would love to just dig into your own experiences. Kia, would you like to start and just kind of share what your first personal experience with any kind of postpartum mental health challenges were? Sure. So I think just to paint the story, I had my, uh, my second baby while while I was in nursing school, which was the first time that I ever really experienced real anxiety in my life. Mm-hmm. So with my first baby, I did not, or at least I do not, do not remember having any type of like um, anxiety or depression during that time. It was my second baby when I was already dealing with a lot of uh, stress from nursing school. Um, and so the, and it was actually, she was born in my pediatric rotation. So I was learning a lot about babies wow. and children. Um, and honestly, that crippled me. I mean, I was so overwhelmed with anxiety um, about my baby, like having irrational fears about things that would happen to her. Just again, just irrational thoughts. And yeah. so that was my first, <laughs> my first go at it with my second. Emily, how about you? Uh, the first, the first time something came up for you, when was that? So for me, it was pretty immediately after I had my oldest daughter. My husband didn't take very much time off of work. He was only, I had her on a Wednesday. We were in the hospital until Friday and he went back to work on Tuesday. So, um, I was only home a couple of days before he went back to work. Um, and I noticed myself feeling pretty down, but again, I thought it was just the baby blues and I thought it would go away within a few weeks. Um, and I was just very anxious and, you know, as I'll talk about later, it never went away. Yeah. Okay. So for Kia, it was second baby. For Emily, it was your first. I'd like to dig into uh, some of like the specific ways that these things show up 
in the two of you. And like we said at the outset, we know this is just two stories and we know there are a whole bunch of different symptoms and feelings and presentations of postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. So if you're comfortable, I'd love you to get as specific as you can about what it felt like. Um, let's just start sharing. For me, um, it first showed up. I didn't mention this before, but when my milk came in, um, I felt this physical reaction of it was almost this wave of depression coming over me. Um, and it's interesting because I felt it with my other two kids also, but I didn't have the postpartum anxiety with them. So it was definitely this hormonal surge for me. Um, like maybe four to five days after I had her, when my milk was coming in, nobody ever told me this might happen, but it did for me. Um, and so initially I felt just depressed and down. Like it was hard to get myself motivated to do things. And then the feeling of depression went away for me. And then mine was mostly anxiety, which again, I didn't really know that was even a thing. Nobody had talked about postpartum anxiety to me before. Um, I had a lot of obsessive, intrusive thoughts, uh, similar to what Kia said about something bad happening, something bad happening to me, to my husband, every time he went to work, to the baby. Um, And then another sort of symptom for me was that I couldn't eat very much. And in hindsight, I also didn't eat very much during my pregnancy. And I thought that all of my nausea and not being able to eat was just pregnancy related. But my sister told me, you know, maybe I also had it during pregnancy and didn't even recognize it. So I was kind of, I lost my baby weight really fast just because I couldn't eat, um, you know, which wasn't healthy now looking back. And then um, when I'm very anxious, I have to keep myself busy. So I was doing a lot. Like I was exercising twice a day, going for walks, just trying to almost get the anxiety out of my system, kind of. Um, It's like, I just couldn't shut my mind off. So I was just anxious all the time. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Kia, how about for you? Yeah. So with me, with my second baby, um, it was a traumatic labor. So she got stuck coming out, which is called shoulder dystocia. And so I tore really bad. So the physical recovery was really bad for me. Um, And then uh, I tried, I had planned on nursing her and it wasn't going well. And I just remember day four, uh, that day we had gotten from the hospital and just like with bleeding nipples, crying that I couldn't feed her anymore. So we stopped and my husband went and got formula. And so from that point on, I kind of just felt like a failure. Um, I had no like help. Like I never knew anyone that breastfed before. I didn't know where to get help. So then I would have all these thoughts like, well, what if she gets sick all the time? Cause she's not breastfed, which doesn't really make sense because my oldest was completely formula fed, but it was just one of those things where, you know, you set your heart out to do it and then it doesn't work out and yeah. you can't figure it out. Um, the intrusive thoughts, like Emily said, I mean, like I wouldn't let my husband come down the steps with my baby because I thought if he held her, then he probably wouldn't be as careful. Maybe he'd fall down the steps with her. Yeah. Um, so things like that. Um, and then rage. Um, I know like postpartum rage is a thing now, which is really um, like seeing that that was that there was a name for it, validating that there wasn't just something wrong with me that I was that I became this yelling mom. Um, or wife, you know, um, also insomnia. So like Emily said, where she couldn't turn her brain off, I could not turn my brain off on top of always worrying that something was happening to my baby. Um, and, uh, 
doing too much and not asking for help. You know, the super mom role where you can do any and everything without asking for help, because if you ask for help, you're going to look weak and like you can't handle it all. Emily, anything else come up for you as Kia was talking? Yeah, Kia just reminded me, I also did not want anyone to help me. I had a really hard time even letting my mom take the baby. I just felt like if I wasn't there, something bad was going to happen. Um, I, and it's even seven years later, I'm a, I'm an overprotective mom who has a hard time leaving her kids. And I think that's where it started. Um, I guess I just felt like, you know, I think a lot of moms feel this way, but it was just over-exaggerated. Like I do it the best way and I can't ask anybody else to help me with this. Yeah. I did an interview with a writer named Kate Rope a few years ago who has a book called Strong as a Mother. I'm holding it in my hand. I, I got it off the shelf. Um, and I will link that interview up. It probably is one of the like most interviews we get the most emails about still to this day. Um, and she wrote a research-based, evidence-based book, um, but it also includes her personal experience um, with postpartum anxiety and some other things. But those intrusive thoughts is what I wanted to circle back to. I think she told me this statistic, and I'm just holding the chapter right now, is over 90% of postpartum moms have scary thoughts, intrusive thoughts, either about the something happening to the baby sometimes about doing something to the baby or, you know, really, really scary thoughts. And her point was nobody talks about it. So if if people take nothing else away from this conversation or go listen to that interview, it's that you are in the 90 percent like majority if you've had those intrusive thoughts about something awful happening, even really, really awful stuff that people don't even want to say out loud. That's how normal it is. It's not just kind of normal. It's incredibly normal. And the fact that for a long time, nobody's talking about it is, is striking. So thank you both for just kind of going through some of those very specific, um, symptoms. I'm curious what it looked like for you to get to the point where you said to yourself or in your journal or to your spouse, like something's not right. I'd love to know like when that was, and also what brought you to the place where you could say something's not right? Was it something you saw or read? Um, did you kind of have a hunch and you just got brave enough to share? So Kia, what did that look like for you? So for me, it was at my six week postpartum checkup. Okay. And I just told my doctor um, who I really trusted in that I was not feeling like myself. I was having these negative thoughts all the time. Um, and she talked to me about medication. So that is what I went with. We decided we kind of weighed the pros and cons of what that would look like. Um, she did the Endenberg postnatal depression scale. Okay. And I don't remember what the score was, but I know that it was high enough where she thought that something like medication would work in my situation. Do you think for you being in healthcare and having been in nursing school and around the medical community, do you think you were at uh able to put language around it or on the lookout more, or maybe because you were a second time mom. Cause that is, I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome that you were able to march into that six week appointment and be like, yeah, no, this is not right. Cause for so many people, you just don't even know what you don't know. Absolutely. For me, I felt like I was very aware that something was wrong and I just knew that I couldn't go on being a mom to now two kids and in school and working and a wife with um, things the way that they were. I knew that something had to help. And I didn't go in there even really knowing like that I would take medication, but it just seemed like I was just glad to be offered an option. And that seemed like the best one. Yeah. I love that. 
And Emily, what did naming or identifying the struggle look like for you? Mine started at my six-week appointment because my OB asked how I was feeling. And I said, you know, I'm feeling a little bit off. I'm not sure what I should do. And at the time, I hadn't really gotten out much with Amelia, my oldest. Um, I had her in August. And I would take her for walks. And I'd take her to my parents' house. But I was afraid to go out in public with her. Because the pediatrician sort of scares you into, yeah. you know, the baby can get sick. And I'm a germaphobe. And one of my triggers is when my kids get sick. So um, I was just scared to go out. And the my OB was like, you know what? For your mental health, you need to just try to get out, wear your baby, go to Target when nobody's there, you know, like start doing more. So I tried that thinking maybe this will help me feel better. And it didn't. So uh, my breaking point was when I was about three months postpartum. It was um, getting into winter here, which I always feel a little bit down in the winter anyway, but this was like, I felt extra down. Um, and I was getting scared to leave the house, really. Um, I remember my it was my mother-in-law's birthday and we were supposed to go out to eat. And I just like, it took everything in me to get ready to, you know, get the baby out of the house and go in public around all these people. Yeah. And I thought this probably isn't normal. So ended up making an appointment with my OB. My husband came with me and um, she's so sweet. She sat down with us for probably an hour and like just asked me all my symptoms. She told me that, um, you know, she went through this too, which made me feel more normal. And um, for me, similar to Kia, I was prescribed medication and um, she gave me a referral to a therapist who I started seeing. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Vionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Vionic Shoes. Wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves, so they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids' vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. 
Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash mom hour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. So I'm curious what getting help looked like for both of you. And we wrapped up the first part of the episode kind of talking about this a little bit. And you both mentioned medication. And Emily, you said you got a referral for a therapist. But I'd like to dig into this even a little more. You can talk about as much as you're comfortable sharing about the experience of being on medication, um, starting to talk to people, including a therapist or friends and family, like the whole, the larger picture of getting help. What did that look like for you? Okay. So at the three month mark, I was prescribed a low dose of Lexapro and I started taking it. And what I didn't know is that it can take six to eight weeks for to fully work. Um, which if you've never taken medication before, you wouldn't know that. So I had to kind of wait to see how it affected me. Um, And unfortunately, I'm very sensitive to medication. So I had a lot of side effects, but I stuck with it because I just wanted to feel better. So took the medication. I'd say at the six week mark, I started to feel like I wasn't scared to take the baby out. Also, she was getting older. Um, And I was kind of ready to leave the house again. So like I started going to the library for story time. I started to push myself to do more and I could tell I was feeling better for therapy. um, I did go to therapy a few times, but that was really all I needed. I'm a pretty open person. So I was talking to my mom, my sister, my husband throughout this whole time. And they were sort of checking in with me to make sure that I was doing better. I'm curious if you were reading or consuming any like mom media that also helped validate what you were going through. I know seven years ago, social media was pretty different than like when I had my first baby. So was that part of getting help too? feeling like maybe the Internet was um, a place where people were sharing struggles like this? It's funny. It wasn't really. And I had my own personal blog at the time, but it was more healthy living related. Okay. I don't remember my peers, people I followed talking about these types of struggles. And maybe I just wasn't aware that people were, but I feel like it's just so much more common now, which is a good thing. Yeah. I feel like it would have been helpful if people were more open. But back then, I feel like Instagram wasn't as popular as it is now. There were no stories back then. Yeah. It was yeah. different. It was different. And And I think the truth is people experiencing mental health struggles are often not writing about it in real time. It's, it's afterward as you are, you know, as you both are doing today, it's um, when you're in a little bit of a place where you can have that hindsight is maybe when you feel more comfortable sharing. So Kia, what did getting help look like for you? Yeah. So I took my medication after I had my second and I actually took that up until we decided to start trying for our third baby. So that actually did work for me. Um, I was aware just because my nursing background um, that it would take a while. Um, and it really did provide a lot of relief. Um, just that, just solely medication. I knew I didn't want to go to therapy. There was still some stigma around therapy, to be honest. Um, and I didn't feel like I could make the time for it as well. And then uh, weaning off that medication, whew, those side effects were really, really bad. Um, and so when I had my third baby, I was... Uh, really struggling as well. And my midwife 
um, offered again for me to take medication, but this time it had to be something different because um, I was breastfeeding. And I went home and took that one time and I felt absolutely terrible. I could not handle those side effects, even though I know I wouldn't see results for like six to eight weeks. So then I did start therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was in March, 2020. Well, I had that baby March, 2020, and I'm still seeing that therapist. So I've been seeing the same therapist now after, since my last two, you know, for my last two babies. And so that is how I have been coping. Um, so I've been learning a lot more coping mechanisms and that's why my journal is like so sacred to me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't still have any, a lot of personal friends that deal with things like this. So it is kind of harder to talk about like in real life, mm-hmm. which is again, why, why Instagram is so validating when you see posts like that. Yeah. I love hearing that. And um, I am curious about the weaning off medications. And Emily, I'm going to toss this question at you. Was there a point at which you felt like, I know this medication is working? Like you said, you were kind of gradually able to go out in the world a little bit more. Was there kind of a moment where you're like, oh, like the fog has lifted? Not really for me which is kind of funny. I didn't, I now looking back, I can see that it helped, but when Mm -hmm. I was in it, I was just so in it that probably other people could see that it was working for me, but I didn't see it as much. I didn't feel as bad. So obviously it was working, but it wasn't like this aha moment. Like, okay, it's working now. I'm fine. That's not how it worked for me. Kia, was that similar for you? I think that's, that's fascinating. I took an everyday medication, which was my antidepressant. And then when I would have like panic attacks, I would take an anti-anxiety medication. So if I like needed something for like, I don't know if quick relief is the (laughs) the word, but um, then I would take that fast acting medication to kind of help me. And then I took the daily one. And I think I want to say like by the second and third month um, of taking them combined, you know, the fast acting when I would need it. Um, which was honestly probably once a month, um, <laughs> then I, I did really see a change. Okay. So Kia, you started to touch on this and I, I'd love to talk more about it, but you both went on to have um, two more babies after these um, struggles. And so I want to hear what you did in those subsequent pregnancies or postpartum periods after experiencing struggles the first time, everything from talking to your doctor, maybe planning ahead. Were you, were you worried about kind of going back to that place? I was very worried. Um, I made sure I had, I went to a new um, OB office and I made sure that they knew that it was in my chart and in my record, in my history, that I had a history of postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, And my husband, because he was also one of the ones that let me know like, Hey, like you aren't like acting like yourself. So I just made him promise to tell me, like, if you felt like I should get help, if it was before I would realize it myself. Mm-hmm. And I remember the day getting discharged with my son, our midwife giving us like the discharge instructions. And I specifically remember her telling my husband that he really has to keep a close eye on me because of my history. And I remember her saying something along the lines of, you know, if mom's not feeling good, then, you know, no one's feeling good because you know, we make, we set the tone and, you know, the vibe for the household. And, um, so I think that's why too, when I saw myself kind of going down that hole after my, um, third baby and, and again, at my six week checkup, um, Mm -hmm. I kind of just let it all out. I remember just completely sobbing 
to my midwife about everything that was going on. And this was fresh COVID as well. So yeah. Oh my gosh. When Megan interviewed you like six months or so ago, when you were getting ready to have your fourth baby. So listeners will link this up in the show notes, but Kia, I remember being so struck. You, you talked very matter of factly about preparing your whole household for mom's potential postpartum depression. And like, just knowing that this is a part of your likely postpartum journey. And by this time it was your fourth baby and you, you talked pretty plainly with your kids. Will you share a little bit more about that? And we can link up that episode as well. Absolutely. So I was with my oldest being um, a lot older, I was really worried about her seeing me um, and remembering mom in a way that maybe I didn't want to be remembered. So I wanted to really normalize it um, and kind of remind her that, uh, you know, moms go through a lot of hormonal shifts after we have a baby and how, uh, how like uh, I wasn't myself and didn't really feel myself after the other two babies, which she had seen. And so I really wanted her to know that I was going to be okay if she saw that same thing. Right. And, and, and I'm so glad I did because honestly, after Elsie, uh, maybe I want to say the first three weeks, there was a lot of crying. I mean, I remember Christmas day, I think I just cried almost all day and she must have said something to my, um, my four-year-old at the time, because my four-year-old said, sissy said, this isn't like other Christmases and (laughs) which kind of broke my, my mom heart. But also, um, I'm glad that I know that she had that background knowledge of like why mom was, was the way that I was. Cause I was still so fresh postpartum. So I just really wanted to let my girls know that. Um, so that, you know, if they have babies one day and they know that they can talk to me about it, if that, if those things happen with them. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Emily, how did you approach your second and third pregnancies and postpartum period? So I was on my medication for about nine months and then I decided to wean myself off. And like Kia said, the side effects weaning off, like not great. I didn't feel great. Um, and so I'm surprised that I had another baby so fast, but I ended up getting pregnant. Um, when my oldest was 15 months and I knew that I might feel, I didn't know how I was going to feel. Yeah. Um, but in some strange way, getting pregnant almost reset, it felt like it was a reset for me and I felt good again, mm-hmm. um, which I wasn't expecting, but so it made me less nervous for the actual delivery. Um, but I did have a plan in place the second time I, uh, encapsulated my placenta, which I know is controversial, but I just wanted to do anything I could to possibly make myself feel better without having to take medication again, just because I did suffer from side effects. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. And then this time I asked my husband to take two weeks off of work because I just, I knew that was part of the reason I felt terrible. I'm not blaming him, but I really needed that extra help at home. And especially having, um, my daughter was not even two when I had my son. So I knew I was going to need extra help this time around. I asked my mom for more help and my sister had a baby three months before I had my second. So I actually had someone to talk to this time and kind of, um, you know, I wasn't alone in it anymore. I guess the first time I had a baby, I was really the, I didn't have any friends who were stay at home moms. I, my sisters didn't have kids yet. So I just didn't feel as alone the second time. Yeah. So then were you able to move forward without medication? Did you feel some of the same symptoms after um, your son was born? Like all of that preparation totally makes sense in the circumstances. And did it play out just with, would you say you didn't experience 
postpartum anxiety and depression at all the second time or that it was sort of mitigated by those circumstances? I don't think I experienced it the second time. I think I had the baby blues a little bit, but I think it almost helped that my kids were so close in age. And I know they're not as close as some people, but I had two under two for a little bit. And I was just so busy that Mm -hmm. um, I was so focused on taking care of them. Also, I think it helped having a two-year-old. I could talk to her and it wasn't as lonely as just having one newborn for me. Um, And then having my husband's help. So yeah, I definitely, I felt a lot better the second time. I will say when my son was um, probably around one, the getting into a toddler age, um, mm-hmm. I did start to feel more anxious again. Um, I don't know if that would be considered postpartum anxiety or just anxiety, but he was a difficult toddler. And so like some of those feelings started to creep back in, just trying to take care of two yeah. young children. Um, yeah. I think that's important to talk about because I think we forget that this can happen at any point in motherhood, not just in the immediate postpartum. Um, I think, is it, I'm going to, I'm going to say this and I don't know the exact correct answer, but I think it's considered within 24 months, 18 or 18 to 24 months or something. I think it's still considered part of the postpartum perinatal mood disorder family. Kia, do you know offhand? And obviously listeners will, will link up the real deal. I think that sounds right. Yeah, I I think 24 months is what sticks in my mind. And that, of course, does not take away from regular old anxiety disorders and depression that can happen at any point in life. But I I think the postpartum um, umbrella covers quite a bit longer, to your point, Emily, than than people think that it does. And I've heard multiple anecdotal stories of people just kind of coasting along or or doing okay until the nine month mark or the 12 month mark or whatever. So I think I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, we're going to talk a bit about COVID times now. And so listeners, if you have not heard our pandemic babies, uh, two part series, it's really, really, I think important. It's a hard couple episodes to listen to for people who had pandemic babies. Cause I think there's a lot of trauma from that for people. Um, a lot of, it just brings up a lot of memories of having a COVID baby, which was really tough on a lot of people. Um, Today, I'd like to revisit that a little bit, um, even if people have listened, because you both had, did you both have March babies or Emily, was yours an April baby? She's May. She's May. So March and May of 2020. And Kia, you um, actually had a second pandemic baby because the pandemic has been going on for so long. But right now we're going to talk about the those early spring 2020 months. And so I would love for you both to just talk through COVID hits, you're pregnant or about to deliver or delivering. How did that impact your ability to seek mental health support, to surround yourself with what you needed? By this point, it's your, you know, you've had, you've gone through this a couple of times, but now there's COVID. I think I had a little bit of anxiety during my pregnancy with Hazel because I remember the winter feeling so long. I remember telling my, I remember going to an appointment in February and my doctor was like, it's going to be nice soon. You're going to be able to get out of the house more flu season. It was kind of a bad flu season too. She's like, that'll be over soon. Don't worry. And so I just thought if I can make it through the winter, I will feel good again. Yeah. And then, you know, little did I know what was going to happen. So basically I got through the winter and then COVID happened and Um, I was planning to do the same things that I did after having my second baby with my third. I was planning to encapsulate my placenta again. 
I was planning my husband to stay home for those two weeks. I was planning to have all this help from family to help me with the big kids. And none of that happened. Um, My husband did end up working from home for five weeks before I had Hazel. And that was really nice to have him home, but he had to go back to work. And so obviously there's this extra layer of anxiety when he's in person working with COVID all around him. We didn't really know what that meant. Um, We didn't really know what COVID was yet at that time. So it was very strange. Um, I didn't have any help because we weren't seeing people. So it was just me and the kids. Um, and I could not encapsulate my placenta because doulas were not, at least here, they weren't working at the time. They weren't coming into homes or you just, we weren't really interacting with people at the time. So my whole postpartum plan sort of went out the window. I think one thing that did help in hindsight, I did hypnobabies um, through this pregnancy, which is basically just a natural childbirth course where you do these different, um, hypnosis tracks to kind of get you centered for birth. And I didn't realize how much it helped until I was postpartum and I was on my own. I think it really calmed me down. And so it's a blessing that I chose to do that during this pregnancy. And, um, since I had her in May, we could get outside a lot. So that definitely helped just every day. I was like, okay, we can go outside, come in for nap time, go back outside. And that is really how I survived that summer. Um, did you have a, a traditional six-week checkup? I know a lot of people did not, and that came up in our Pandemic Babies episode. Like, what did it look like to, uh, did you even get to talk to your doctor about your your past with postpartum depression and anxiety? Or like, did that six-week appointment even happen? It happened. I remember I wasn't allowed to bring anyone with me, so I had to go alone. Even the baby had to stay home. Um, Yeah, I do remember discussing it. And thankfully, I wasn't, I did not have the uh, postpartum anxiety that I had with my first. I feel like I was just in survival mode. It almost feels like an out-of-body experience when I'm talking about it. So I'm like, I I don't know how I got through that. I just did. It's very strange. so I'm sure we talked about it, but I, I felt okay at the time mm-hmm. in the, in the way that anyone felt okay in the spring of 2020. And yeah. I think that's really, <laughs> I think you're right. There was probably some like out of body, just, um, it, people were functioning in unimaginable ways all over. So, um, so you did not end up going the medication route or feeling like you needed that kind of support with baby number three, even though it was COVID times. Right. And that's funny that you say that because I remember going to just a physical appointment a few months after I had the baby. And one of the questions was, you know, have you felt anxious or depressed in the past six months? And I'm like, uh, who hasn't? I don't, it's really hard to decipher between COVID anxiety and postpartum anxiety. Yes, absolutely. Um, so Kia, how about you? Um, COVID and the timing of Brayden's birth and like all of those support systems that I'm sure you hope to have in place. What did that look like for you? Yeah, just like Emily said, my postpartum plan completely went out the window. Um, So for me, it was the loneliness that really exacerbated everything. Um, We had both of us had like a lot of um, like physical complications afterwards, too. And it was like the no help like not even being able to get help for those things that really, you know, worsened and deepened my anxiety and depression. Um, And then I, you know, 
he was, I think, exactly 14 days old when, like, the global pandemic, like, became named that, where they, like, shut everything down. Um, so I wasn't pregnant during it. He was just a very fresh newborn. And so, honestly, another huge thing for me was that I was going to have to go back to work in, like, eight weeks and then work as a nurse during the pandemic. So, so, so much anxiety about that. And then just yeah. like my mental health and then our physical health. Um, and so when I took that medication and it, I just decided that, you know, it wasn't going to work for me. A few, a few months went by um, because I believe I was still working and it, it was in July. Um, I actually had a moment um, where I just felt like I wasn't good at anything. Like I wasn't good at being a mom. I wasn't good at working. I wasn't good at being a wife, you know, all those things kind of yeah. crashing down on me. And I just remember having the sense of, or the thoughts that my family's better off without me. And that is when I got a therapist. Yeah. Um, and I needed the help from my husband to realize that. Um, so, and, and this is where the one, I want to say the one good thing of COVID came in. I, there's no way I think that I would have went to a therapist in person. So because of COVID with all the telehealth, I was able to get a therapist online. Um, and so, yeah, I've been seeing her ever since. And that just helped like immensely to get me through work. She was the one that helped me decide, you know, to be a stay at home mom, you know, working as a nurse during the pandemic um, and helping with those more helping with better coping mechanisms and strategies. Yeah. Um, and I just remember calling my sisters sometimes and being like, can you at least come through the front door? Like come stand there so I can just like see another face because my husband, he was still working. Um, so yeah, it was just the loneliness for me that that was really, really tough. And for both of you, I would imagine, you know, you had this really hard earned experience that you wouldn't wish on anybody, but you had learned so much about what you would need to feel supported. And then COVID comes along and just takes that away. Uh, Emily, in that pandemic babies series, the story you told about, just like Kia just said, having your sister come and stand across the driveway. I mean, that was one of the more impactful parts of that series for me was just realizing how many moms had help willing and yet not able to access that like basic need of, of having a support system there. So Kia, I love that story about finding therapy and finding that telehealth is what made it work for you. So let's thank you for sharing. Um, well, I would love to finish just by kind of bringing us up to the present day. We, we started this episode with how you're feeling in this season of life. Are there specific things you're both doing um, to support your ongoing mental health? So Kia, you have a four month old, right? Three, four or five month old. So you are really still postpartum with baby number four. And Emily, you're a couple years out. Um, but what does like ongoing mental health wellness and support look like for you right now? Like what types of routines what what makes the biggest difference in taking care of yourself? So I have recently gone from seeing my therapist once a week to once a month. So that is like a big change, kind of like mm -hmm. graduating um, <laughs> to yeah. that. Um, and like I said before, and I really could just keep saying, having my journal is like such a therapeutic thing for me. Like I I know when I when I don't get the journal about things at night, like if I skip the night, I can like feel the heaviness of needing to get things out. Um, trying to be more open about it, um, like about how I'm feeling if I'm not having a really good day, just kind of telling my husband when he gets home from work, like, 
today was like a really hard, overwhelming, overstimulating day. And maybe he'll like take over bedtime. Mm -hmm. Um, or even just calling my mom, like, I'm going to lose my mind sitting here for like the 10th day alone with the kids. Please come over and help me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and then one thing I will say too, with Elsie, even though she was born, you know, still in the pandemic is I would not say that I have postpartum depression this time. Um, I am overall an anxious person, but Mm -hmm. I, I don't find myself going through those really deep, dark rabbit holes. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't find myself worrying irrationally about her worry as you know most moms do but not irrationally and I think that's because I am still seeing my therapist I am still trying to talk about it um and and my journal (laughs) yeah I love that Emily how about you yeah I can relate to what Kia said because I am just kind of an anxious person in general so I don't know that I ever developed postpartum anxiety with Hazel, but around the 18 month mark last fall, I did notice myself starting to feel down. Um, My daughter got COVID really badly and ended up in the hospital. So that kind of affected my mind, um, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so all winter, I kind of felt like I probably needed to seek help because once you go through it one time, you unfortunately can recognize the symptoms quickly, but that's helpful because I didn't want to go back to that bad place again. So This past winter, I found a therapist and started going to her. And then she's out on maternity leave now. So we're taking a break. But um, I'm proud of myself for going. Um, And then I did try. I tried another medication, but unfortunately still had bad side effects. So I'm just realizing that's not for me. And thankfully, my symptoms aren't severe enough that I need it. So for me, um, getting enough exercise, um, even if that's just, you know, doing like a quick Pilates workout or going for a walk. And getting enough sleep, which can be hard because my kids still wake up at night sometimes. But I notice if I'm trying to go to bed early and get enough sleep, I feel so much better. Um, And then, you know, reaching out to people. And I think the difference is now, seven years later, social media is so open to talking about um, all of these different issues. And I have a lot more friends who have kids now. And it just, I'm just happy that people are more open about it because you just, you don't feel as alone. Yeah. Um, on that note, as you, I won't put you both on the spot right now, but as we get this episode ready, um, maybe we can all link up Instagram accounts or um, other online resources that you both think are talking honestly and helpfully about postpartum depression and other stuff. It would be um, great to link some of those things up in the show notes. And I know I have some some expert resources to link up as well. Um, Thank you both so much for spending this time today and sharing your stories. And um, I just appreciate you both. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Well, listeners, before we say goodbye today, I wanted to specifically mention a couple of episodes from our archives. I alluded to them earlier, and they are linked wherever you're listening right now. But we shared an interview with writer Kate Rope, whose book is called Strong as a Mother, How to Stay Healthy, Happy, and Most Importantly, Sane from Pregnancy to Parenthood. My interview with her is from way back in June of 2018, and I will link that up. Um, That conversation is really important. And that book is such a good book, whether or not you have any personal experience with postpartum mood stuff. It's actually a great gift for new and expecting parents because it really takes Um, almost a preventive approach and a proactive approach to surrounding yourself with support as you head into the postpartum period. 
So that book is Strong as a Mother by Kate Rope. I interviewed her in June of 2018. And then more recently in February of this year, Megan interviewed Monique Dozier about the Black motherhood experience and mental health specifically. And that is also a really, really important episode to listen to. So those will be linked up in the show notes as well as Pandemic Babies and the episode where Kia was a guest and other things that we mentioned today. Everything is in the show notes at themomhour.com. This is Voices episode 74, and I'm so thankful you joined us today. I also want to remind everyone to check out our sponsor, Mind and Child, and their parenting course. You can find out more at mindandchild.com slash themomhour, and at that link, you'll get $20 off their parenting course. Again, it's mindandchild.com slash themomhour for $20 off. Thanks so much for joining us today, everyone. Thank you for listening. Megan and I will be back in your ears on Sunday with another More Than Mom episode, and we will talk to you then. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by The Essential Calendar. Sarah, this is our favorite calendar for busy moms because its beautiful and simple design shows around three months at a time. Yeah, and with summer fast approaching, now is a great time to get the essential calendar and see what I've been raving about all these years. Get 10% off your order at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour. That's 10% off at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour.